Hi, I'm Anna Burt, and I'm Sue's daughter. Hi, I'm Emily Benito. I'm Trudy's daughter. Though our mums are both dead, the fact doesn't change. We're both adapting to living our lives without our mums, and know we are very much not the only ones. We have joined forces to create a podcast in the hope that we can provide what we feel we needed and still need in our grief. The mothership, the mother load. There's no getting around that mother means something big. There are so many different kinds of mother, biological, step, figure, and so many different kinds of grief when they're gone. We're here to do what we can in podcast form, welcoming guests so we can explore our experiences together, where they converge and where they vary, and, hopefully, understand a little more about the nuance and scope of The The Mother mother of All Losses. Hello, Anna. How is your grief today? Hello, lovely Emily. My grief today is is bittersweet. So as as our regular listeners will know, um, I've spent the last few months, um, the last year, um, clearing out my gorgeous dead mother's house of all her earthly belongings, uh, of which she kept every single one of them. And now I am in a flat that I have, which is just wonderful, semi-surrounded by her belongings, but also by mine. And I feel so kind of calm and grateful but like I was saying to you before we press play there's such a bittersweetness with good things and I think being a bit further down the line in my grief is that I just feel like oh shit I can't tell her I can't show her I can't show her the really nice cupboard that I just stayed up till two in the morning putting up or I can't show her my new coffee table which is the kind of thing I feel that actually god knows she probably wouldn't even care but I care do you know what I mean and I think just um just just you know it's like I I felt the same when I got my degree and I felt the same when I got any job or you know when I had something published etc etc or you know when I started a cool podcast which ironically I'd probably be <laughs> do had you been alive. um so it's <laughs> today. um but also I've got a beer it's Friday evening despite lockdown I've got a candle burning um and I just ate some curry so I, I really am feeling pretty good and calm actually calm um compared to my usual slightly manic self which is very nice oh calm is so nice can I ask you uh, what candle you've got going please brand and fragrance okay this is from our local garden center in Brighton shout out to Dobby's bought for me by my brother and his girlfriend and it's woodwick crackles as it burns terrace blossoms fleurs solo cherries <laughs> It's French for fuck nice um and it smells lovely um and I'm a big fan <laughs> I love a scented candle Thank you so much for that, because I also love a scented candle and I'm always looking to expand my awareness of what's available. And I'm glad you have it going. Like I've definitely found that in um, in lockdown, in El Pandemico, that working from home and having a candle going has really helped. And I don't know whether it's kind of partly the aromatherapy aspect of it, but Sometimes I think it's like that little flame is like my focus. And when I light the candle and I'll pay attention and then when I blow it out, it's anyone's guess. And I'm so glad that you're set up in the flat. That is so poetic. (laughs) Oh, I have my moments. (laughs) And that was your moment for today. It's beautiful. That was your moment you picked because um, basically I think I like mine because I wash about 70% less than I used to wash um, and uh, it just smells nice and clearly I don't. Um, Emily, how is your grief? Um, Welcome to Lockdown Theatre Four in Scotland. Yes, uh, 11 minutes ago, uh, I'm just staring at the clock now, we have legally gone into Tier 4 uh in Glasgow where I live which is Scottish for full-blown lockdown um I am sort of envious of your calm Anna I'm so glad you have it I'm so glad you have it but I miss having calm and I had a bit of a a bit of a blurt about an hour and a half ago and it's just one of those things where I keep somehow forgetting about myself like the things that you think you know about yourself but regularly forget 
where it's like when I'm when I'm stressed and when grief starts to kind of creep back in I don't feel like really energetic or antic I just feel like incredibly tired and then just completely sort of implode with a little bit of explode and I'm like oh yeah that's (laughs) that's how it builds and things so calm I'm and I do feel that like sort of temporary relief of like okay that's a lot of it gone because it's been a couple of things this week and it's the mix of the really small stuff and the bigger stuff so the small thing is that I have a cat and every time my mum would come and visit me she'd bring a pack of dreamies now for those who are not aware of dreamies they are essentially cat crack and I had so many bags of these dreamies because every time she'd visit she'd bring one and now this week as uh, my cat was screaming at me and I reached for a treat because I'm a really overindulgent cat parent I can't help it um I looked in the bag and I realized oh I'm nearly out and I looked in the cupboard and they're all gone and I was like oh I have to buy these now this seemingly never-ending supply has definitely ended and then the biggest stuff is that this week I've just had this kind of huge tidal shift in me of just this wave of complete insecurity which makes me feel completely off kilter and not really in myself and I hate being like that way and I want to be sort of honest about being that way but then I don't know how to get myself out of it hence having a big blurt and I realise that a lot of this kind of like insecurity and how I start to act is exactly like my mum when she was sort of insecure and feeling threatened and up against it so I had an interesting therapy session this week where my therapist was saying well it seems like she's really present because you're recognizing that she's kind of here in you and I'm like yeah but I feel almost like possessed and I don't really like it (laughs) and it's simultaneously me and her all at once and I think like what you were saying that this kind of this grief journey and the understanding as we go along is like we're not just like one channel or you know it's it's a mixed bag and it's everything at once and sometimes I think of grief as like a frequency and sometimes it interferes with life and sometimes life interferes with grief (laughs) but they never seem to sort of uh, go smoothly in parallel Um, and I think that's it we're just constantly trying to keep the balance in that divide was that a bit poetic I think I'm better about candles I was just going to say, that was, um, I think, actually, you've just trumped your scented candle poetry. That was very beautiful. <laughs> and I'm also very sorry to hear it, but you are a wonderful poet, Emily. <laughs> you really are. Um, and you know what, like, I was sitting there trying to think, oh, what are all the reassuring things I can say to you? But basically, it's just like, you just have to be kind to yourself and but you know that but it's so much easier said than done um and I just really hope it passes soon and it you know it's grief isn't linear next week you might feel full of confidence but this week just kind of just just allow yourself to feel it it's huge what you've been through thank you love it means a lot and again I'd be telling you exactly the same thing and I don't know why it's so hard for us to be able to do it for ourselves I don't know whether it's because we just experience ourselves internally and it's so clear seeing people externally like, oh, but you're great. And yeah, of course, everyone feels this way. And, you know, confidence wise, it fluctuates and so does grief. And they're both big things. Before I very succinctly um, introduce our guest today, um, who happens to be an actor. I wonder if part of it is as a performer and as a comedian, you're so used to almost, you know, finding your thrill and your joy and your validation in other people's reactions to what you create. And I think that one thing that's happened in lockdown is that we're all just kind of shouting into like a room where no one's there. And I definitely know that as soon as I get like on camera with like, I have a weekly team meeting at work with like 12 of us and I just start showing off and like just trying to be really funny because 
I just don't have an audience. And I just, I wonder if like, if, if that's something that's kind of seeping under the surface is without, you know, an audience to create for, um, you kind of lose that sense of who you are and what you do and why you do it. Oh, a hundred percent. My poor therapist, it was bad before and it's even worse now because I basically have her captive for an hour and uh, she is just at, at the receiving end of like a sort of shoddy preview every week. That is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like we should have a therapy group to get that. Um, so talk about performers. Emily, can you... Um, our guest today please with pleasure now our guest today is Alex Gelf I have the pleasure of actually knowing Alex personally through uh sort of family friends that kind of uh warm uh circle uh through uh my auntie actually and Alex is the most wonderful actor and photographer and I'm really excited to have her here today and also she was incredibly lovely and immediately responsive to me and when my mum died and sent me a microwavable llama which I will never forget so (laughs) microwavable llamas are the kind of that they've set the new bar for me for kindness from afar so Alex love how is your grief today Hello. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed the llama. Um, How could I not? It, it felt it felt oddly immediately appropriate. Um, <laughs> my grief today, you know, it's in, it's interesting because so my mum died 14 years ago. So I'm like a vet in this timeline, I guess. And what that means is that usually on a day-to-day basis it's not hugely present the grief itself um but the loss is always there or like the absence is always there and it, it only takes the kind of smallest specific stimulus for it to come kind of hurtling back in so you know you you an advert on tv or like something you're you know a film you're watching or anything like that can just kind of like rush it back in <laughs> and um I think I think last night it was like there was some I hadn't listened to um I hadn't turned on normal tv in quite a long time I've just been you know stream streaming only and then I I turned on normal tv and was subjected to a slew of Christmas adverts and it just set me off because and I don't know about you guys, like I um, loathe Christmas for... Um, I hate it. Yeah, that was what I was, I was screaming. <laughs> no, I wasn't screaming, but I was, there was a lot of, I fucking hate Christmas being shouted around my flat <laughs> to just kind of get off my chest. Because I was like, oh, this time of year, man, this blows. This really, really blows when, um, when media tries to kind of shove a, a four square family dynamic down your down your neck when you ain't got one um so yeah that's kind of that's kind of how it is um so Alex um your mum can you tell us about Barbara how did Barbara live uh she was she was awesome um she was she was like a friggin genius um and just just a really she kind of took no prisoners um but in quite a classy way um <laughs> she was very you know she was she was very wry and um very very sharp very smart she um both of my parents um were american and um they moved to this country they actually met here studying at the LSE um and I think one of the things that's both kind of wonderful and and tragic about my mum's life is that she was a an artist at heart. She was an incredibly gifted pianist and um she spoke a bunch of languages and she liked to paint and she sang beautifully. Um but growing up she was skint, so um she was also good at maths and she ended up going to finance even though like boo hiss. Um she uh, <laughs> she kind of she kind of hated that world but um she did that in order to support herself and 
she never really got to like live the artistic life that I think she would have done if she'd had a more privileged background and that is very abundantly obviously what she's given to me because she raised us me and my I have a brother who's five years older than me and um you know she she moved to she was drawn to Europe and and to to the UK particularly because she wanted to move to a place that you know that had a history that was longer than like a few hundred years and she, she and and just like the center of the cultural world and so she she raised us in and that's sorry that's very western focus but um <laughs> the uh, she raised us you know in constantly in galleries and in theaters and I feel like basically her choosing to do the job that she did to support herself and then support us in turn meant that she kind of she raised me as an artist and so I think I have the tremendous privilege of you know I like a lot of people in my line of work when they sort of come out to their parents as performers their parents are reasonably like oh no what did we do wrong why why would you make this terrible choice and um and I think with my mum, it was kind of like a natural, like, well, duh, like, what else would you do? <laughs> like, this is this is what I took you to the theatre for. Um, she was also, she was like, my mum and I were kind of inseparable. Like, we were real, real best buds. And she was also pretty tough. Everyone in my family is kind of academically high achieving I realize it's funny because I'm, you know, I'm 33 now and it's amazing how you're still kind of like holding on to the relationship that you had when you last had it. And so like she was 19, I mean, I was 19 when she died. And um, so that that kind of like adolescent, when I think of her, I still position myself in a kind of adolescent mode of being like, did I get good enough grades, Ma? Like is, <laughs> um, you know. Um, but she wasn't like, um, she was tough. She had high standards, um, but she was a tremendously like loving and selfless and ceaselessly interesting person. I was just gonna, um, quickly ask you about this piece that you wrote for Medium, um, which I was reading this afternoon and it's so beautiful. And you say, nothing teaches you about permanence like grief. I have tried to rebuild her from my own salt. I have followed her haircut through public spaces on strangers' heads. I have stuttered agnostic prayers over the river she loved. There are two things I cannot change, no matter what I do. I can't bring her back, and I can't change how I behaved in her final years. And that, what you were just saying, really made me think of that piece, um, which was so beautiful. And... Um, and about the kind of regrets that you, the teenage regrets that you have, because it's something that I'm still kind of plagued by in my dreams about, you know, moments when I was so angry at my mum when I would say things like, I wish you were dead. And she would say, oh, I can't, you know, it makes me shiver saying it now. And she'd say, well, one day I will be. And then you think now and you think, fucking hell, what was I doing? But you can't beat yourself up about that. But at the same time, I do. And it sounds like it's something you do too. Oh, yeah. It's rough. It's rough. Like, I am... Um... Like I say, me and her were really, really tight. And um, I might get into more about the why of that in a bit. But like, I could count on one hand the number of times that we ever argued about like anything to a kind of pathological extent, really. I think it's probably not healthy, actually, in a way. But but yeah, it's really tough because if you lose a parent, especially if they're like your main parent, if you lose that parent at the point when you are like, you're at a severely, you, you, you are an adult, like an imperfect stage of development. Um, you are self-absorbed, um, not because you're a shitty human being, but because that's kind of like natural at that point in your life, because you are trying to, you're trying to establish your own adult self. You're trying to figure out who you are. And I was doing like my first professional um, play when she died she died on like the second night of that of that show and um I also felt it happen on stage and I do not buy into any of this like non-scientific woo-woo 
but I swear to God, it was a comedy. And halfway through the first half, my body just went cold and I was suddenly physically incapable of smiling. It was giving me the Wiggins. And then I went off stage and I had just like a whole stream of missed calls from the hospice. Um, so yeah, read into that, whatever you will, you psychics. But yeah, I was, I was wrapped up in my own life and my own processes and she had encouraged that, but it is absolutely gutting when the years go on that you can't, you can't apologize for that. You can't fix it. I can't show her that I did eventually grow up to be a slightly less self-absorbed human being, a slightly, you know, more graceful or well-rounded human being. You know, you just, you can't prove any of that stuff. And I think that's why it's really handy if you're religious, because, you know, the idea that that person is with you allows them to kind of, well, I guess it, it emancipates you from the the kind of that snapshot feeling of that was the last thing they saw of you. You know, I've heard you both on, on previous episodes talk about, you know, caring for your parents and even listening to that just kind of kicked me in the guts because I was like, I could have done that. I could have been that teenager who just turned into a carer and gave their life to their parent and I didn't do it. But also, Alex, I have to say, and I think you might be well, you, you definitely are so far, and you might be in the future, the only guest we have whose mum I've had the absolute pleasure of meeting and spending time with. And everything that you were saying about her in terms of how wry she was, that's still my lasting image of her. Like this real kind of, um, this kind of Jackie O elegance of like that kind of Anglo-American sort of, um in entwining in that she's just so kind of I, I just think about her posture and how she looked so kind of like she like and that's that thing about how someone holds themselves and I you know everything that you were saying there I mean I of course she'd want you to be on stage yeah I, I feel like that's true and and I and you know I also like I was on this sounds like bragging. I hope it's, it, I, it could, I hope it doesn't. But it it was, I was also, I was on the, I'd just done my first year at Cambridge and I feel like a big part of, you know, she, she battled cancer for three years and it was terminal from first diagnosis. So that was a, a hell of a fight. And because it was terminal from first diagnosis and we spent, there were like two years where it was like, it'll be any day now. Which gets to the point, there's only so much a human being, you know, you can kind of process that. You have to, in a way, like normalize the the impossible. Um, and I think she was pretty, there was, a, there, was a, there was definitely some significance in the fact that I got started at Cambridge and I got in my first professional play and she was kind of like, okay, you're set. Like that was important to her that I was doing that shit. So important. And I know everything that you're saying there in terms of normalizing that constant emergency and I, and I think that's something, strangely, that everyone is sort of feeling now in terms of the pandemic. And also everything you were saying about Christmas, I also just want to, like, complete solidarity. Like, it always bothered me, but now I'm oh, kind of fuck like... Christmas, man. Team Grinch. Fuck, fuck Christmas. Let's all be green. And, like, also, I think I'm sort of grateful that everyone's like, oh, Christmas, because there's a cloak over it. I'm like, great, I'll hide under this. But I think what you were saying about sort of religion and, and that... Um, kind of proof I'm wanting to say like yeah now you know even though and I without a doubt Barbara would be like yeah Alex is doing great she's on stage and she's in Cambridge and I can't imagine that she'd ever think that you weren't doing anything but a brilliant job both because you did um but what you were saying there about and and that line from your wonderful wonderful article article sounds too um cold but your beautiful piece of writing about grief and permanence I think so much of kind of religion is to try and um kind of fight back against permanence and that can be I I think uh, we we three here don't find that particularly helpful and actually it's much more reassuring to have someone be like yeah no it's it's done now and let's just actually be in reality with the sadness and try and learn to live with that because I think that's that's what's true that's what's immediate 
But Alex, could you please tell us a story about Barbara? Well, you actually reminded me. It's funny. I was thinking because I'm I'm not ironically being an actor I'm not much of a storyteller <laughs> ah, don't tell my agent um but um just you thinking about you know the the sort of family the family friend gatherings at which we met which was it's funny I say it's so terrible that I say I hate Christmas because the the best the best the one redeemable thing about Christmas is that I spend it with your aunt um <laughs> who is one of the greatest human beings I've ever had the pleasure of meeting um so um sh- she must know um dear Lizzie that she is she's the best part of it but um Oh yeah, that's testament to Lizzie. That doesn't change the status of Christmas. That's just how good Lizzie is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, I think at one of those Christmas, because we had uh, we had one Christmas where um, my mum, bless her, what a beautiful thing to do. She basically she because she knew she was dying, and she knew um, that. Um, wait, I'll just do a brief segue to say that just to, to explain my family situation because my parents were both immigrants to this country I don't have any extended family here and I don't really know my extended family I don't have any grandparents and um, I don't really know my aunts and uncles and my dad was a very very abusive guy so Christmases were kind of already hot garbage before she was dying and so I think when she knew that she would soon be gone, she felt an imperative to like set me up with a better situation. And so she made a very deliberate choice to ba- basically like take me to Lizzie and my brother also, but he was he was older, so it was kind of less of a he was already a bit more independent. And so we had one Christmas where she was with us, and then all subsequent subsequent Christmases were without her. And um. It was this kind of like beautiful relay race situation, which where she's, no, wait, I'm the baton. Yes, I'm the baton. Um, So that's a beautiful act of kindness, right? And grace and shows what a kind of thoughtful and loving person she was. But then also just to give you the flip side of her, like at that Christmas where we were all together, I was talking to Lizzie's brother-in-law um, and he uh, is a very charming man and he was, um, he was saying, to, you know, he was offering me a drink and at the time I didn't drink and um, and he, he sort of, he said to me, oh, do you smoke? And I was like, oh no, I don't smoke. And he was like, you don't drink, you don't smoke. What are your vices? And my mom was in a completely different conversation and she leaned over and just went, oh, narcissism. And then that was it. I was like, thanks, mum. Thanks. Yeah. So I'm just left there going, right. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm a narcissist. Yep. Thanks. Thank you, mum. Yeah. That was, that was, that was her vibe. So I love that so much. Um, I can't tell you. Um, Alex, can I ask you a question um, about, um, because you have a brother that's five years older than you've mentioned, about how um, you've both experienced the grief differently. Because one thing I felt, um, because you both lose, something I feel quite strongly about is that you you lose different parents because you have very different relationships with them. And people don't always seem to understand that if they haven't been through it. Absolutely. I think, I don't want to bum people out too much, but I think it's important to be honest. Because my family life was kind of, so brutal growing up my brother and I never really formed that much of a relationship we've never really been antagonistic at all but we also have always just kind of had a formality between us and I would say all in all my mum was like she was from Connecticut very kind of New England like restrained we were not a big huggy, let's talk about our emotions family at all. And then on top of that, there was a bunch of like dysfunction and abuse. So we never really talked about it, my brother and I. We never, we didn't go through it together. We didn't really help each other. Um, again, not out of ill will. It just would have been kind of weird to. And I would say we're kind of beginning that process now. And it's because, I mean, I don't know if you've clocked the past tense, but um, 
I might have to crown myself the president of the Dead Parents Society right now because my dad died two years ago. That must be very complex for you. Yeah, indeed. Um, indeed. I think as one of your other um, podcast guests said, like when you are grieving someone who you had a complicated relationship with is um, weirdly almost harder than grieving someone who was just an all-round tremendous hero because it's just like you just don't know what way is up which I think is a common experience of grief but this one really it's like turbocharged and then the experience of losing my dad ended up making me kind of re-grieve losing my mum because suddenly I felt like you know I was grappling with the idea of I've lost my antecedents completely I felt rootless in a way that I kind of already did because I kind of lost my I, I kind of lost my dad already like as a teenager anyway because I became estranged from him early on but then to really make that concrete two years ago it just it, it brought the whole kind of shebang back and me and my brother I think are making really good progress now at kind of getting to know each other but it 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 was a really lonely experience um because yeah, just because of our particular family dynamic and because of being transplants from the States. Um, yeah, it was kind of a solo endeavor. It was just me and the internet. <laughs> God bless the internet. <laughs> God bless the fucking internet. Um, what, I, what I do want to ask you, Alex, is and it kind of brings us on nicely to our next question, which is what worked and what didn't in your grief? Um, well, I'll tell you what really didn't work. Sorry, I have to laugh because it is, it is fucking dark. Um, it, what really didn't work was at my mum's funeral, loads of well-meaning people going, at least you have your brother and your dad. Oh, God. <laughs> and me going, well, do I? Um, yeah, I think, I think, um, yeah. That 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 didn't help. But what really helps, and I I not I know I'm not the first person to say this, but people saying anything helps. Like I know that people have always just terrified to say the wrong thing. And English people in particular will, as a result of that, not say anything a lot of the time. And it's the wrong move. <laughs> you should say say something. Say the most random platitude. Say, you know, I found religious sentiments very comforting even though I am not because I was like hey you believe she's in heaven that's chill um, <laughs> <laughs> like that's I can I that I appreciate that um vote of confidence from you but um the things that really didn't help were I got ghosted a bunch and I think that's very common when you're a teenager because teenagers don't know what the fuck to do because they don't have the life experience so a lot of them just ran for the hills I was as I mentioned before I was at Cambridge and uh, the Cambridge student body is not famous for its empathy so <laughs> there were a lot of people who who just kind of like malfunctioned and left the room yeah there was a lot actually my my director of studies who is that that's kind of just like the the person in charge of your whole course I went in she she died in the summer holidays and I went in the, the, the first term and I told him what had happened because I thought that was significant, you know, it was like, this is a big life event. And um, and this is exactly how he responded. He went, uh, yeah, um, I'm here to talk about your academic work. <gasps> no. And I was like, bro, no, dude, I just thought it might be relevant. Um Cambridge was fucking hilarious though I mean I have to think they have I'm glad I have to hope <laughs> I have to hope they've changed in the last 10 years um but <laughs> when I was there just so you know the like state of mental health um in that place so I went to a college that happened to have the uh it had a clock tower in it that is like the tallest point in the city or it was at the time um, and they're the most like proactive mental health thing that they do, well, they did at that time in Cambridge, was um, they locked off access to that tower in the summer term because too many people were jumping off it when they got their exam results. 
Oh, no. Yeah, they were like, there are too many suicides happening right here. So could you do it somewhere else, please? (laughs) We have a river. Have we mentioned the river? Um, yeah, that that was that was about the level they were at. Not on the landmark, thank you. Yeah. Don't do it. There are too many tourists here. Um, yeah, so so I would say that the academic, the mental health policy of my university was not helpful, and people ghosting was not helpful. Um, but anything and everything else was gratefully and warmly received. And you said that you turned to the internet now I'm fascinated to know was this sort of immediately in the wake of Barbara's death like when you were 19 because something that Anna and I talk about a lot is that we feel that you know grief discourse has only really kind of bubbled up to the surface in maybe the past four or five years like did you find support online? I did but this is where I aged myself dude so um this is <laughs> this is like this is pre this is pre social media which I guess I'm grateful for but then also I I know Emily you've talked about how it, the the kind of the the experience and convenience of being able to just tell a bunch of people all at once um which I really kind of envy but um no I I basically, while I was tr- while I was procrastinating from my actual degree, I taught myself how to be a photographer, which turned out to have been a much more intelligent financial move than studying an English degree. Um, but I, I uh, yeah, I taught myself to be a photographer mostly using the now defunct website Flickr. Oh yeah. I remember Flickr. Oh, it sounds, yeah. sounds like a, I don't know, it sounds like a kind of lesbian porn site to me. I was really... <laughs> um, but it wasn't. It oh, was... Uh, what we were talking about. <laughs> no, a different one. Different one. Um, that's probably what the URL's been bought out by now. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, definitely a much more innocent age of the internet. So it was a photography website that couldn't be further away from Instagram. It was like enthusiasts and um, professionals only. And people were really talking shop and getting very technical um, and kind of like early days of Tumblr, you know, there was just, there was a kind of earnestness and innocence to it and on Flickr I taught my I was doing a lot of self-portraiture because portraits are my jam and I'm always around so I shot myself all the time and again this is before the word selfie had been had ever left anyone's lips for like many many years earlier than that um this is when you had to have very flexible arms in order to take But I took um, a bunch of very emotional, kind of raw, please don't look, Google them, anyone, um, self-portraits and wrote underneath them. And I found this community of artists, basically, who were took self-expression very seriously and were unafraid of talking about self-harm and other self-destructive processes and eating disorders and shit they've been through and abuse and like just the really you know just I think the 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 gnarly edge of of artistic self-expression and I found it just so comforting because I'm chatting to people in like you know Baltimore who I will never meet um especially again because it's before social media so they they there was no way they could get anywhere near you they couldn't really was anonymous and but at the same time incredibly personal yeah I'm weirdly nostalgic for that era of the internet man it was cool oh halcyon days when you start talking about early days of tumblr I was just gonna say you can hide behind the internet now um sorry then in a way that is like the absolute opposite way that the internet's used now which is all about like and and I think yeah I mean finding finding those communities um is is really important yeah, I have to say, like, again, not to get too dark, but I did, you know, I did what I, I was really I was in free fall when my mum died. And I was so completely alone in the world that I did all the self-destructive things I did. all the, I did. I developed an eating disorder and I did self-harm and I did all this stuff. And it was literally like a, a, a random, a middle aged firefighter <laughs> from the Midwest who 
talked me out of that stuff because he and all from the fact that you know he took these like really naff photos of fire engines and then and I was taking my emo self-portraits and we ended up having a, a a completely frank and honest um like exchange that that lasted months um where where yeah he just kind of set me on the right track in the way that a kind stranger only can yeah I, I think you're so right Anna in terms of there's something about the anonymity that was afforded in in the internet of of back then and Alex everything everything you're saying there is so touching I think to have that correspondence and sometimes I think that like those sort of areas of the internet used to be these kind of congregations of everyone being like I'm in so much pain and I feel so alone and then you'd all realize oh god but we're all together and we're listening to each other and we get it um whereas now I suppose it's not to get into a full analysis of web 2.0 and, and social media but I think then it was kind of you were looking for us I certainly was at that time in the internet for, for a we and now it's kind of I me and there's constant kind of followers well we, we follow each other now don't we which is the idea that like oh so what I'm a leader oh shit um whereas then it was this kind of there wasn't really a hierarchy to it it was forums. It was everyone coming together. And I'm so glad. I wonder what that firefighter in the Midwest is doing now. I hope he's still taking naff photos and being nice to people who clearly need some kindness. Because there is something, isn't there, about someone that you don't know who is kind to you that, for me, is that real kind of proof of, oh, the world can be all right and I think is all right and is being manipulated by other people who are cruel. At its base, it's kind. <laughs> At its base, it's kind. <laughs> There was so much random kindness out there. And so, you know, it's I didn't go searching for it. It came flooding in apropos of nothing just because people felt a certain resonance or felt like, why not? Why not just throw in something nice? And I, I, really, I, I really feel for people going through the rawest edge of grief now because the... I look I love social media I'm not like I, I it's hugely problematic but I'm not one of those people who's like it's universally blanket evil but I think the thing that makes it so so hard is that everyone has to be a professional PR these days so you you, you know because it, it literally affect how you express yourself on the internet now literally affects your career prospects amongst many other things and that especially in our line of work um, because you know we our personalities are you know and how likable we are is directly related to our employability um, and as someone who deals with a lot of depression myself I struggle with that because I'm like I would love to be real on here for the sake of the people I know and care about but at the same time I can't be because casting directors will look this up <laughs> like that's a real thing and so I have to be I have to be kind of chrome and bulletproof in a way that a way that we didn't back in the back in the day <laughs> mm. and also you you have all the permission to be as well as you have been thus far as real and as dark as you like I think that's what we miss and what we're trying to be here so thank you so much and I guess the, the next question then is our kind of, uh, I don't know how to describe it, Anna, but I, I kind of think of it as the sort of uh, catch all, sorry, please, thank you, which is what question do you wish that you had been asked by, by us, by anyone else? Or what is the thing that you wish you could say, you know, without having to be asked and prompted in polite society or chrome bulletproof social media scape i mean you've asked really good questions so <laughs> um, there's not like an obvious gap here but i guess like i feel i do feel a certain kind of like big sisterly position here especially because not only am i a bit older than you but i'm a bit further on in the grieving process and and, I, and also having lost both parents kind of further on again in a way and I think when you have gone through a trauma that is unusual for your immediate demographic context, that is to say, you know, there are a hell of a lot of parentless people in the world, but um, 
in our society it's in our country or in our socioeconomic group it's not super common at our age and I think it's easy to feel a sense of unfairness and umbrage and to have a sense of like outrage um you know when a marketing company doesn't take you into account when people assume something that isn't true of you and whilst those feelings are all totally justified they won't help you in the long term and I think that there is there is a serenity and a grace to be found from slowly walking towards accepting that like my lot is different my hand I got dealt is different and there is a wisdom that you have because of it um there is a a little empathy boost or a big empathy boost that you have because of it you will see and understand things in ways that other people won't and then when they're older they'll be like oh I wish I had when I was younger and you're like well I did you know you have a head start in a way you have a I think um the more you can lean into the notion of the the gift side of each curse and and how much more beautiful a person can be when they are complex and their mottled history is is detailed I th- I think that can be a very uh yeah a very heartening and emancipating and thought to grow with so that's that's what I would that's what I would leave you with is like you got a superpower guys you know Alex I feel a bit choked up that was so do I I feel like (laughs) that was (laughs) okay hold on okay firstly Emily you've lost the poetry award sorry (laughs) I I hand it over I'm I'm thrusting it into (laughs) Alex's hands right now this was never mine it's hers you mean I've, have I earned Dead Parents Society? That is that is the that is the joke oh. I will keep plugging. <laughs> I'm I'm standing. Ooh, I'm going to make you a bag. I'm, I'm um, oh, captain, my captain. <laughs> oh my god, you guys, that's hilarious. <laughs> I did actually raise my beer to you to the screen as you were saying that. But what actually, Alex? I'm going to retrospectively transcribe that and write that down because it's very rare that someone's says something so that you actually deeply know in your core but you haven't found a way to clearly think about you haven't been told it and you can't quite put it in words and I feel like you put so much there of how I feel so strongly and so deeply so beautifully so um thank you that was just really lovely um, also, I don't know if you guys will find this funny, but um, I've got—I don't normally drink while we do the podcast, but it's Friday night, um, and so I've got my beer next to my microphone, and I keep trying to drink my microphone. <laughs> drop, drop the mic or drink it. Either way, you know, it's your mic. You, you do what you want with it. Uh, in, these, in these COVID times, just make sure it's it's your own, and don't don't share mics, peeps. Um, I think. I don't even want to say that this is serious because I feel like what you said there, Alex, as well, is like I'm not someone who wants to run too quickly to finding silver linings or to say like, oh, well, you know, a big dose of suffering means that you're a better person. But at the same time, nuance, complexity, come on in, the water's lovely, is that, you know, there's there's actually kind of a... There's, there can be a benefit to grief and fuck me like we might as well find it it's it might be small amongst the you know the sheer again this word we keep coming back to like permanence of it and if it's going to be permanent then there might as well be a little glinting bit of it that we can hold on to and I certainly feel that big sisterly vibe from you and again the microwavable llama wonderful and I was like I did I did a proper sort of I sort of lol sobbed for about 10 minutes when it arrived and and had a hug and um I think it's exactly that like sometimes you just need a microwavable llama um guys what the fuck what the fuck is a microwavable llama (laughs) 
yeah, I have to say, I want to explain this because, like, I, I, you know how, like, if you were a sadist, you could, like, kill a cat by putting it in a microwave? I want to say this is not, like, we didn't, this is not, I've, there's no murder involved here. It is one of those wheat bags that you put in the microwave, but it happens to be llama-shaped. And, <laughs> and I saw it. I saw it in a shop one day and was like, I know a woman who needs that right now. Um, but... Uh, it came from a gift. It was the bless. It was the the. Uh, it was a gift from um, when I, when my mum died. Um, my boyfriend at the time, his mum, um, sent me a hot water bottle, and it just. I still have it, and it's still like it's one of my most emotionally treasured objects, um, because it it it's amazing how like weirdly relevant that sort of a like a small physical comfort thing and it's amazing how helpful it can be basically um and uh so yes when I saw when I saw a reheatable llama I thought bingo cutest cutest little cartoon llama face you ever did see I um really enjoyed today's recording guys I feel like I've learned things and like I feel like I've really, I feel like I've really felt things. Okay. Likewise, <laughs> <laughs> well, dudes. It is. I, I know you said this. I think on other episodes that you kind of have a vibe sometimes when you're talking to someone else who has experienced grief or another's kind of significant trauma. Um, and it is a is a real thing. There is a kind of sisterhood or cousinship or. <laughs> Or whatever it is that you know, those 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 connections and those friendships are very are very valuable, and it's always a pleasure to talk to other people who are on that wavelength. It's an absolute pleasure to be on the same wavelength with you, Alex. We're going to have a massive Dead Mum Club reunion when we're allowed, um, and um, I'd like you to read that speech um, as the um, our opening speech, please, Alex, if that's okay. Oh, dude, what an honour! Yeah, I'd love to. I love the idea of a motherless rave. This is. <laughs> No one's asking when we're coming. <laughs> Toastmaster. Alex, where can good people with great taste find you? Because you're exactly up their street. Um, I am on the Twitter um, at agelf. My, my surname's impossible to spell. Um, so <laughs> I don't know, maybe you guys can... Well, you'll see my name um, in the in the podcast thing, but um, but yeah, and and Instagram also a gelf. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you for listening to the Mother of All Losses podcast. This episode was produced by Chris Thorburn. Music by Kane Aris, who can be found at Atom Collection Two on SoundCloud. With huge thanks to Hannah Trevathan. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on themotheroflosses at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, take care of yourselves and your grief.